and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Planet Quine. I'm Horse and Hound's Alex Robinson. Everyone at Horse and Hound is well and truly immersed in the Olympics. And last week, Charlotte Desjardins and her fantastic little horse, Geo, took home individual bronze in the dressage. And the team actually came home with the bronze too, which is incredible. And the eventers have done it as well. They're bringing home the gold medal. And Tom McEwen has picked up the silver, so that's amazing. And you'll be hearing more from the team out in Tokyo, who will review the eventing from the Olympics later in the podcast. Our guest on today's podcast is Lottie Fry, the dressage rider who was part of the bronze winning team and she'll be chatting to Lucy about her experience in Tokyo. Still it's sinking in. (laughs) I still have to keep looking at the medal and kind of looking at all the messages of congratulations. Also, I'll be talking to our news team about equine obesity in the show ring and a shake-up to the dressage rules. Finally, personal trainer Katie Bleakman will give her advice on mindset in relation to fitness and how working on your mental strength can go a long way in ensuring you're able to push your physical boundaries in the saddle. Really, really important that if you work on your mindset, you make yourself mentally strong and mentally robust, and then you're going to be far more able to push your physical boundaries. That's all to look forward to, so why don't we get started? Hello, I'm Lucy Elder, Horse and Hound Senior News Writer, and I'm delighted to welcome British Olympic Team Bronze Medal winning dressage rider Lottie Fry to the podcast, fresh from her exceptional performances in Tokyo aboard her own and the Van Ole Stallion Everdale. Lottie, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm good, thanks. We just got back a few days ago, so actually the, the jet lag has kind of um, calmed down now and we're kind of back to normal again. Yeah. And has has everything sunk in yet? What you achieved out there, the whole Olympic experience? Uh, it's getting there. Yeah. Still not 100%. I still have to keep looking at the medal and kind of looking at all the messages that I get um, of congratulations and still it's sinking in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. I hope you have time to have a, have a party and celebrate properly. Yes, I, I think uh, I think we will. We had a little one already, but we, we definitely need a bigger one. <laughs> definitely, absolutely. <laughs> and we saw some lovely clips as well on your Instagram stories of Everdale returning home to stable and he looked as fresh as a daisy. How how did he come out of the games and how's he how's he come home? Oh, he is so fresh and he's just <laughs> raring to go for the next one, I think. Oh, wonderful. He, um, he came off the lorry as if it, he was on his way out there, to be honest. <laughs> he was just as fresh and very happy to be home. And we're trying to give him an easy easy time now, a little holiday, but he's, he's not really feeling that. <laughs> <laughs> he knows he's a superstar. Yeah, he does. He's very demanding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you can be when, when, you're, when you're winning medals like he is, so um, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Jumping into what things were like in Tokyo, for those of us watching back at home, can you describe a bit about what it was like to ride out there and how it felt riding into that main arena at your first Olympics? Uh, it was an amazing arena to ride into and it, although there was no public obviously there was still so much atmosphere and um, the whole short side was filled with other riders and um, other people from the equestrian park so there was 
people there even though it wasn't full and um, I think the arena was just so nice and there was so much atmosphere and it was really built up so that just gave it such an amazing feel and there's like cameras at all angles everywhere <laughs> so you knew that everyone was watching and of course it's always um, amazing at a championship to have the the seven judges so there's kind of judges sat at every angle um, yeah but to ride down the center line with Everdale was it was a really amazing feeling kind of can hardly describe it it was just like the first time I went in there I was like wow I'm at the Olympics let's just enjoy it now <laughs> oh wonderful and did you manage to you know enjoy it? obviously you're so focused on what you're doing can you have time to to enjoy that as well Yes, I actually did. I really kind of made sure I did and yeah. I just had so much fun in there and Everdale was just with me like every step of the way and it was just such a nice feeling to be able to trust him in there and just be able to enjoy it. And I loved your music and that really suited him and I loved the theme of the Rihanna Diamonds and things and it was kind of like this sort of thread that Tom Hunt used to link your special and your freestyle and yeah, tell us a bit about that music. Did you, did you have a hand in choosing it? Um, well, um, Diamonds is like my favourite song ever, so yeah. <laughs> the more we use that, the better. I love it. And then for my freestyle, Tom kind of put together a few things and then we just had a look to see if I liked it or not. Um, and he made it quite like pop and modern, which I really liked and it suited Everdale really well. Um, and then he kind of made it more subtle actually, which was quite nice, uh, made it a bit more instrumental. Oh, it was wonderful. And what was it like as well, sort of riding riding as part of the team out there with, with Carl and Charlotte? It was really cool, actually. It was kind of a really proud moment to be able to um, compete on a team with both of them, especially because they've kind of been idols for me since I was very young. And now to be on the same team as them is quite surreal. And it's really special, actually, because Carl was obviously on the team with my mum in 92, and now I'm on the team with him as well. So that was, yeah, quite a special, a special thing to happen. But it was so much fun and I loved every second and we had such a great atmosphere on the team. Um, we got Carl into exercising a little bit, which was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. I was going to ask what it was like, to, the, the atmosphere and things in Team GB camp. and it was, it was amazing and we had such a great support team from um, Team GB and it was like anything you could possibly wish for, it was, it was available for us and that just makes it, the whole experience so much easier and Kind of, there's nothing that you need to worry about. The horses had their physio every day. We had physio and kind of every need is taken care of. So interesting, isn't it? It's so, I love finding out, you know, sort of the, what's going on behind the scenes because of course we see, well, where I'm watching, I'm watching on the TV and we just see this, these incredible performances that you're doing and to hear <laughs> what's going on behind the scenes. And as you're saying, you know, the relationships and um, the dynamics in the team itself, it's, it's really cool to hear that insight. Yeah, there's really like a whole team behind us, um, even in Tokyo and not in Tokyo, um, to make it possible. And what for you uh, were your standout memories of the week? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, again, okay, the, the bronze medal has to obviously be up there as number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think also the, the feeling after every test and... It was just such a great feeling and even though we had a 
tiny mistakes in both the special and the, the freestyle, it still felt like Everdell really gave everything he could. And I think that's really kind of, that's such a great memory to be able to come away and think that we, we couldn't have done much better at, at our first Olympics. And I mean, we smashed the 80% barrier. On your, I mean, so many people <laughs> would never do that. And to do that on your first Olympics and freestyle, that's <laughs> phenomenal. Um, and tell us a bit about Everdale's character and your relationship with him, because you've been on this journey with him so quite the way through, really, haven't you? Yeah, so we did um, Young Riders together. And then we've done some U25 Grand Prix and then we took him up to Senior Grand Prix in 2019. So he's, this is still quite new for him, actually. And there's still so many years left in him. He's really a very hot horse, never runs out of energy. Um, and he just loves to work. He would work all day if he could. He just loves it. And he's just an amazing horse to work with. It's, it's good because we have such a great partnership that I can now trust him in the ring um in the beginning i wasn't sure if he would get too excited but now he's really kind of getting into the competition routine and he loves to go in there and show off just as much as i do so we work really well together and you've got some of his sons in in yours that you ride as well haven't you and some other close relatives is the quite um are their personalities quite similar are they all quite different um yeah i actually ride a lot of everdales and they're mm. so similar to him <laughs> they all have the the same energy and the same go um and they're so talented like just as four or five years old if they get a bit um sharp or whatever then they just piaf and it's so much fun to work with them and I thought it was really interesting what you were saying um, sort of chatting to some of the press at the games about how you do it because they're these huge big stallions and they're spicy and but I thought it was really interesting the way you were talking about the importance of that breeding and also the mutual respect and and how that works into into your partnerships yeah I mean the breeding is a big thing and um Gertrude Van Olst he um, is kind of in charge of all that and his his main thing when breeding is the character and they have to have a good character otherwise it's not going to work so I'm very lucky to be able to ride all these amazing stallions and they all have such great characters and they love to work and they want to please and they want to show off so can't really get much better than that. <laughs> and I mean, we in the horse world, we all know that dressage is why it's such a fantastic sport. And I think the Olympics, this Olympics really showcased that. And I've really loved seeing how so many people are discovering it either again in another Olympic cycle or mm -hmm. for the first time. And have been, it's been quite a buzz across social media and things this week. Um, how great is it from your point of view to see and hear that and see people becoming excited about the sport? Oh, it's so nice. And I think because we all love the sport so much and um, it's so nice to be able to see other people enjoying it just as much as we do um, and getting into it and following it. It's just it's just amazing. And it's it's just great that hopefully I was able to inspire a few people. You certainly did, Lottie. Um, <laughs> do you have any words of encouragement or advice to sort of young riders and those who were inspired watching watching the Olympics this year? I think just just never give up. I mean, it's it's not always easy, our sport. And um, yeah, I think the main thing is as long as you're having fun and doing what you love, then that's the best advice I can give. 
I think that's fantastic advice. And Lottie, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with us. And huge, huge congratulations again to you, to Everdale, to all your connections on thank your you. wonderful team medal and your wonderful achievements out there. Thank you very much. Um, and just finally, where are you going to keep the medal? <laughs> right now, right now it's under my pillow. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> it's definitely going to find a better home soon, though. I just need it there for one week. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a pretty good home for it to be in, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Lottie, thank you very, very much. And yeah, huge congratulations. Thank you. Hi everybody, I'm Pippa Room, Horse and Hounds magazine and eventing editor out in Tokyo with my colleague Polly Bryan. Hi Polly. Hi Pippa. How's it going? Oh, very good, thank you. I uh, think we're all still just uh, recovering from the excitement of yesterday, aren't we? Yep, absolutely. So we're recording this on Tuesday, the Olympic eventing competition finished up last night we had a late night or I particularly had a late night writing the uh, magazine copy all through the night but absolutely buzzing and I'm sure you can imagine why by the time you listen to this I'm sure absolutely everybody will know the result which was that Britain won a historic team gold medal the first Olympic eventing team gold medal for team GB since 1972 and Tom McEwen got the individual silver as well I mean it was just the most incredible couple of days wasn't it we all we all they were leading from the start we all hoped they could sort of see it through and get that gold but I think none of us quite believed they would until you know they finally did no definitely and the riders described it as a relief and I felt exactly the same to be honest (laughs) it was more relief than pleasure there was just so much pressure going into that competition and to finally pull it off was yeah just just incredible yeah it was the gold was definitely theirs to lose wasn't it here Yeah, it definitely was. You know, the British team came in as favourites. They led from the start and at every stage, you know, if if they had gone wrong, there was someone to step into the breach. So it was a huge relief to, to nail it and get it over the line. So, Pippa, I have some questions for you to try to sort of uh, sum up, I guess, the excitement of the last few days. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. (laughs) So, first of all, I want you to give me your standout performance from each phase, dressage, cross-country and show jumping. Okay. So, we'll start with the dressage because that seems logical. (laughs) Um, I... I'm going to name a lesser known rider called Fuad Mirza. He was an Indian individual rider at the Games, the first Indian to ride in the Olympic eventing for quite some time. He was riding a horse called Senor, former Bettina Hoy ride, normally known as Senor Medicot, dropped the Medicot because of the Olympic rules around horses' names. But Fuad rode absolutely beautifully with Senor Medicot, a really soft, harmonious test, and he was lying ninth after the first phase. Oh my gosh, yes, no, I agree. Fuad's test was lovely, and he was such a charming guy and so so easy and pleasurable to talk to afterwards, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. It was great to have a chat with him. I think I said on one of our daily podcasts that uh, he was my game's crush. <laughs> You wanted to run away with him at some point, I uh, I seem to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I may have said that at some point during the early hours of the morning. There's been a lot of late nights. <laughs> anyway, on to the cross-country. Who was your standout performance from there? I'm going to pick out Oliver Townend. Um, worth noting, of course, that all the Brits went clear inside the time, so really it should be the British team should be the standout cross-country performance. But Oliver was the first of the team out and just rode such a secure round on Ballamore class. He gave the horse 
such an easy time in terms of picking up brilliant distances to fences and just making it as unhard work as possible so that he could really conserve energy and the pair of them were just cruising and gave everybody so much confidence with that great round early in the day. Yes, amazing to have uh, had such a good result in the cross country under our belts from sort of the word go. Um, On to the show jumping. Last one. Who impressed you there? Tom McEwen, Britain's individual silver medalist, particularly in the last round, which was over a short course. There were only nine fences, but they were all maximum height, a metre 30, aside from the first fence. And Toledo de Cursa jumped even better than he had in the first round, to be honest. He is jumping bread. He is just a very, very careful horse. And Tom was absolutely on the money everywhere. An inspiring performance. Oh, I I completely agree. I loved watching him. Okay, so we, between the two of us, we have spoken to an awful lot of event riders over the last few days. Um, They've all been very, very interesting in their own ways. And we have so many quotes that we have amassed uh, across the competition. I'm going to ask you to pick out your two favourite quotes, though. What are they? This is such a tough question, isn't it, Polly? (laughs) Because I think between the two of us, we've spoken to virtually every person in the field at some point. And have to pay tribute to our team at Horse and Hound at Home who've been taking a lot of what we've um, of what we've gathered and uh, writing up stories from it because there's just so much more content than two people can push out from an Olympics. Two quotes. Okay. I'm going to have one from Laura Collett who I felt really summed up the sort of situation the British team were in and why it came together. She said, we came out here knowing we had three of the best horses in the world, horses of a lifetime, and that's why we're sat here with a gold medal. And a couple of the British riders said that in different ways that, you know, those three horses, Ballamore Class, London 52, Toledo de Cursa, they are all, you know, horses that their riders are unlikely to see the calibre of again, maybe even ever in their careers. And to have those three horses sound, fit and on their best form all at the same time led to a British gold and an Olympic record team score as well. My gosh, yes. I mean, it really is astounding when you really think about it and, you know, how how unpredictable life with horses is. And as you say, keeping them sound, keeping them fit, um, you know, to have them on top form after the long journey here and, and to stay on top form for obviously the number of days the competition is run over. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. OK, you've one more quote, Pippa. So I have to mention Julia Krajewski, who won the individual gold, the first female rider to win an individual Olympic gold in eventing, an incredible achievement. Her story is, it's a wonderful horse story. She retired her top horse, Samurai de Toe, earlier this year when he lost an eye and it looked for a while, as she said, like the games would happen without her. And then this mare, Amanda Beneville, really came through for her, stepped into the limelight and once Samir got the selection under her belt, came here and took the individual title. She is only 11 years old. She is a real character. Julia said that she knew she was special from the day she got her, but it took her a couple of years to convince other people. (laughs) And she said, what I love about her is she's above things. She doesn't mind being on her own. She doesn't mind flying. She doesn't mind the atmosphere. And she said, sometimes she kicks and bites a lot, but I'm the biggest fan of my horse. (laughs) And she said she just really, she said she thinks it's a mare thing. She has something extra and she really knows when it's a special day and pulls something big out of the bag for her. Yeah, it's amazing. That horse does seem to know when it really matters. And yeah, she jumped absolutely fantastically, didn't she? Under under the utmost pressure going last with, you know, sitting in the individual gold spots. And she had to, uh, she had to be clear, didn't she, to, to retain that? Yeah, she did. She had to jump clear to retain the gold. Had she had a fence, she would, I think, have taken the individual bronze. But 
all three individual medalists had to go clear to retain their spots. And uh, yeah, Julia's performance was just very confident and very cool under pressure for a rider who hasn't had much luck at championships in the past. Yeah, really inspiring stuff. Okay, Pippa, what about the rider, the combination or the result that really surprised you over the uh, event and competition? It's maybe a bit unfair to say this surprised me, but um, I want to give a shout out to Kazuma Tomoto, the Japanese rider who finished fourth. He's been, you know, successful on the British circuit for a good few years now. But this was stepping into another league to be so close to the individual medals and was a real good thing for Japan, bearing in mind their team effort slightly fell apart and so much has gone into this games for them and you know even without spectators there there were a lot of Japanese volunteers cheering on Kazuma um with the uh, the French bred horse Vinci de Lavigne he's based in Britain with William Foxpit and we had a bit of a chat with William after he finished who said that um he teaches Kazuma about sort of how to put studs in your horse and how to get him fit and how to feed him and how to walk courses but he doesn't teach the guy to ride he has incredible natural feel Gosh, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, there's so much that goes into this, as, as you say, teaching him all about those, those extra elements that are so important. But yeah, to have that natural feel and natural ability when you're on the horse, yeah, that's something that really makes you special. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I can see you probably want to mention lots more people. I'm going to give you one more mention, someone you just cannot uh, ring off without talking about. Oh, Polly. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this competition for the next two hours. Um, <laughs> but... I'm going to say Andrew Hoy took the individual bronze uh, as well as leading the Australians to Team Silver, Andrew's fifth and sixth Olympic medals. He's 62 years old. Vasily de Lassos is an exceptional horse. He, he is one of the best jumpers in the sport and one of the most reliable double clear machines. And he was the only horse to finish in his dressage score, which you probably would have maybe put a bet on if you'd uh, been a betting person coming into this competition and you'd known there was only going to be one to stay on that clean sheet but uh, yeah he did did a very good test for him scored 29.6 and didn't put a foot wrong from from there on in oh my gosh yeah what a horse I've really enjoyed watching him and Andrew is just such a lovely person such a great rider such a great sportsman it was so great to see him up on that podium yeah, it was. And uh, he was saying that um, they'd had a team meeting at which some uh, videos were shown from back home. And uh, there was one of his uh, two small children saying that uh, daddy had ridden well and they wanted him to bring home another medal. So he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he managed that. So well done, Andrew, bringing home that medal for your uh, your two small children. Well, Polly, we are moving on to the show jumping now. Obviously, by the time this podcast comes out, we will have concluded the individual show jumping competition. And if you want to keep up with us every day from here in Tokyo, maybe review the sports that have already happened and follow along with the show jumping, you can listen in to our daily podcasts. Yeah, we are so excited to get going with the show jumping. Um, we're about to head over to the venue now. And yeah, the action continues. We will, of course, be reviewing the show jumping on next week's weekly podcast too. Talk to you then. Bye. For our news review this week, I'm joined by my colleagues, Horse and Hounds news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. What's new with you? Yeah, all good. Thank you, Alex. Just had a fab last week. Amazing stuff going on at the Olympics and <laughs> um, looking forward to hopefully more good things with the show jumping as well. Can't wait. And our senior news writer, Lucy Elder, also joins us. Hi, Lucy. How are you doing? 
Hi, Alex. I'm really good, thank you. Uh, like Eleanor, and I think probably like I said on last week's podcast, I've just been fully into the Olympics. Um, <laughs> I'm really loving, yeah, the new sports and well, discovering new sports. I always find this every sort of every four years or every five years as we're on this time coming round. I, I get so involved in um, and love hearing all the stories of athletes that come out of it really and learning mm -hmm, all yeah. about these new sports as well as watching our, our incredible, incredible teams um, in the equestrian disciplines too. And haven't the mixed relays been brilliant just on I a non-equestrian mm. theme? Love <laughs> I've been loving those too. And the, um, the BMX freestyle as well. Brilliant. I got really into that this week. Brilliant. And back to some non-Olympic news. So, Eleanor, you've been looking at a story about equine weight this week, specifically the weight of animals in the show ring, which is an ongoing issue and something I know societies are, are always kind of looking at. Can you explain a little bit more about what's going on at the moment, please? Yeah, so this was um, an, an initiative they first ran as a pilot two years ago, and it would have then run last year if, if obviously anything had happened. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea is that they, uh, this is uh, work between the Horse Trust and Tamsin Furtado, who's a behaviour change specialist. And they go to these shows, and they went to the Royal International last week, and give awards to the horse or pony in each class whose body weight is the healthiest, basically, who's got the best condition. So yeah, it's a great, great initiative. They only did a few classes last time and they've gone uh, they went on a much wider range of classes this time sounds like a really positive initiative but what mm. did dr Furtado find when she was down at the royal international and and did she kind of think equine obesity is still a prominent issue within showing yeah, so she said her overall message was that it was much more positive than it wasn't, <laughs> if mm -hmm. that makes sense, um, and, and going in the right direction. There were lots of, she she says she's she's not hugely into, into showing. So she sort of went in, you know, maybe thinking that there would have been a lot more fat horses and ponies. And she said that although y there is, there, there, there are still a good few, she said there were, there were lots of positives, like loads of people were really, really pleased to win the awards. Um, she had thought that it might be the the amateur competitors whose horses were slimmer but that wasn't the case there was a, a lot of not saying that wasn't the case but there were mm -hmm. also a lot of producers and professionals who won the awards and there were horses and ponies who won not only the award but also the the class or the championship as well so that there were some real positives there and can we say if this was going to be implemented at, at more shows going forward and maybe looking ahead to next season? Yes, so that's the plan. It will be that the, there's a number of shows interested and the idea is that it will hopefully become a lot more commonplace. And the whole idea being to get the, get the word out there, get people talking and promote, you know, more of a healthy condition. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, so Lucy, we're coming to you next. And you've been looking at a story about top hats in international dressage competitions. Could you give us a little rundown on what's been going on here? Yes, I can. Every year, basically, the FEI revises its rules to one degree or another. And this has kind of resurfaced the discussion over top hats in, in international dressage. So just to be clear, these, I mean, they are banned at the moment. Um, that happened following a vote at the 2019 General Assembly. But I just thought, I thought it was interesting that this has come up sort of yet again, if you like, that we're still mm -hmm. talking about this sort of, years later so 
what I would say about this is that um, it's not been supported by the FEOE Medical Committee on the grounds that it was reviewed at the FEOE board meeting in June. And so I don't think this is going to go any further. But again, as I said, it's just interesting that we're still we're still talking about this. Uh, just again, to put it into the wider context. So these are draft, it's come up through draft pro- proposals that happen each year. And this first draft gets sent out to National Federation stakeholders. And there's lots and lots of different things in there. Um, And then everyone gives their feedback and we get a next draft. And then that goes to a vote at the FEI General Assembly in November before sort of any rule changes come in. So it's not saying that this is coming back or this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just talking about uh, things things that are being discussed, really. And why do some people think riders should be given this choice, you know, you know, the option to wear a top hat or a protective helmet? So the rationale that's in that is that people should should be able to have the choice, really, is is what it comes down to. But yeah, as I said, been met with mixed reviews and ultimately the FEI Medical Committee has is not supportive of this at all. Okay. And there's been some more discussion around dressage scoring as well during these during this rule revision. Can you talk through a couple of these suggested changes? Yeah, I can. So the one that really stood out to me as being quite interesting was the proposal to split the current or if you like collective mark mm-hmm. that's that's at the end of a test um, we're not calling it that anymore collective marks um, in the way they used to be split they they were gone and at the moment you get one mark at the end of your test but what they're suggesting uh, what has been put forward is that it makes sense because that mark at the moment is effectively a mark for the rider. If you're going to have a mark for the rider, you might as well have one for a horse. I'm speaking in quite broad, simplistic terms <laughs> here, but just to give you know all our listeners who might have a you know less intense knowledge of the FEI dressage rules a sort of overview of what what's being suggested. So they're suggesting splitting that mark in two, in essence, to give one mark for the rider, one mark for the horse, which I think I'll be quite interested to see what the feedback on that is. The dressage committee is quite supportive of it. Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Mm, thank you, Lucy. I'm sure that's something we'll be revisiting not too far in the future. Oh, so thank you so much to Lucy and Alana for joining us today. The Horse and Hound podcast is currently supported by Pet Planet Equine. Pet Planet Equine offers a variety of flexible horse insurance and rider insurance policies catering for all levels of experience, from the happy hackers to the dressage stars. Visit www.petplanetquine.co.uk to find out more about the insurance that Pet Planet Quine provides. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. So in today's episode, we're going to be having a little talk about mindset and fitness. So the importance of mindset and how that corresponds to your fitness is huge. And you have to remember that when you are trying to either improve your fitness or improve your riding, you are going to be on, and this might sound corny to some of you, you're going to be on a kind of holistic journey where you're really trying to change your habits and the way you approach certain things. So for instance, if you're trying to lose weight, you've probably eaten in a certain way and picked up certain possibly not great habits along a period of time. And if you're really honest with yourself, it's probably not that you've picked up bad habits in the last year or six months. 
It's habits that have been ingrained in you over the past 20 years or that you've grown up with or that you've been influenced around. And changing the way you approach things and your mindset towards certain subjects can really, really be the difference between either achieving what you want with your fitness and your body or not. And you have to always remember that whatever physical challenge you set yourself, your body is always so much stronger than your mind. Say for instance, if you are running a marathon and you got to say three hours in, your body is going to be tired. There's no two ways about that. However, if you've trained well and you fueled well, you'll be able to keep going. And this is where the mind side of things comes in. And it's really, really important that if you work on your mindset, you make yourself mentally strong and mentally robust, and then you're gonna be far more able to push your physical boundaries. We all know that obviously equestrianism in itself is a very tough sport, whatever discipline you do, and it's an incredibly hard industry to make a living in, whether you're a jockey, whether you run a livery yard, whether you ride full time, and we know the sport can be physically punishing. All of us have had injuries or times where we've been out and down, but that can have a huge, huge toll on your mindset and your mental well-being. So it's really important to actually take some time to work on building a really resilient and anti-fragile mindset. Especially if you do something like you ride for owners, you're always going to have other people's kind of opinions. And I know that when I used to ride, that affected me a lot. But if you work on your own mindset and you start to actually, you know, tell yourself you can do things, things like self-limiting beliefs, like we all probably hold opinions and we think, oh God, I could never ride around badminton. Well, why do you think that? What makes you any different to say Mary King, for instance, she probably thought that 40 years ago and she managed to do it and the same having like this really fixed mindset which a lot of riders do have rather than looking at it and being like right okay I could make some time in the evening to work on my fitness it's I don't have time that's it and this really fixed kind of one track minded mindset and you're not stopping to take much time for yourself or consider how you feel and ultimately like yes we're all busy everyone is busy everyone has priorities whether that is a yard full of horses whether that is children whether that is a full-time corporate job whether that is running your own business but all of these things you're going to have people relying on you whether that's children clients animals and at some point if you don't stop and make time for yourself you're not going to be able to look after all these other people and you're going to end up hitting burnout so it's really really important that you take some time you start to work on your own mindset and equally it will help you to kind of realize how lucky and grateful you are for what you do have. For instance, something like if you have to get up at 6 a.m. and go and get a run in because that's the only time you can go for a run, rather than thinking, oh God, I've got to get up and I have to go for a run at 6 a.m. Why don't you say to yourself, like, I get to go up and go for a run at 6 a.m. And that completely changes the way you approach your fitness, your whole journey and your training. And you have to remember that whatever your goal is in terms of your fitness, and you're riding, it comes down to habits and habits and mindset. Setting things like morning routines, what you do before you go to bed, it's all really, really key. So you've got to remember the mind is a lot stronger than the physical body, but it's how you train it and you should be spending time, I always do with all of my clients, on working on building a stronger mindset, really implementing this positive attitude. However, like, you know, fluffy you think that might sound it will make a huge difference and it really is the difference between those people that actually you know can be clear in their and concise in their thoughts and make their fitness a priority and get results compared to those who maybe just sit there and say I can't do this or I won't ever achieve this you can achieve anything you set out to you just need to make sure that as much as you train the physical side of things and you make yourself physically strong fit fast you're making your mindset just as fit and strong as well 
So I hope you found that useful and good luck with your own health and fitness journey and of course your riding. If you're looking for any more information on any other topics that I've discussed today, I do have a Facebook group with lots of other information in it on all of these topics. If you search KKB Fit, you can add yourself into the group and join me there. Thank you, Katie. And next week, Katie will be back to talk about lower back pain. We'll also be hearing from one of our British event riders from our gold-winning team out in Tokyo. And of course, we'll be reviewing all the latest action from the Games. Thank you for listening to this week's Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Pet Planet Quine. Please do rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. See you next week. <laughs>